February 16, 2015, uh, Lo-Fi Edition. I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Joel Cavino. And we're here in a room with a snowball mic because there's demolition going on all around us. And we don't even have power, so this will last as long as our laptops. No power, sir! All right, well, so we're going to do this in a kind of random way. Um, first of all, we're almost, by the time you listen to this, it's possible we are uh, sold out of emerging tech tickets. Um, we w- basically were at 30, I think, tickets open uh, oh, wow. at the time this morning. So Every year this happens. People yeah. call me up, Joel, I know that you work with Chariot Solutions. Can you get me tickets? Can you hook like, me up? Honestly, they don't listen to me. I know. <laughs> that can't happen. Once me they're either. sold, they're sold. We try. We try really hard. Um, well, anyway, so, so that's the good news. And so thank any listeners who have listened to us and jumped right to their keyboard and, and registered. And please, when you see us at the conference, let us know that you actually found out from the TechCast or in the Dev News Podcast. We appreciate it. Um, all right. So let's see. Let's start off with something uh, a little bit new. Node.js. I know we talked about Node.js having a little bit of a crisis. Uh, people were complaining about Joyent, um, maybe not having a transparent process or that their process was a bit flawed with, with their open source. Mm-hmm. Um, people worrying about like, the speed of Node. And that was about five months ago, four months ago. They just released Node v 0.12.0, so it's a new major milestone. Hmm. Um, so this is a, a lot of changes between 10 and 12. And I guess 10 is the stable branch, 11 is an unstable branch, and hopefully 12 is a stable branch. Um, I've been working on 10 forever, so now I may have to look at it. Um, but it has a number of features. I'm just kind of cherry picking here from the announcement on blog.nodejs.org from February 6th. Uh, there's a third version of the Streams API. Um, no changes to the API uh, means no more getting stuck in some old mode. There are only streams that are flowing or they're not. So there's like some way in Node, I guess it didn't quite work. Um, clustering, uh, now there's a new default for clustering, which is a round robin distribution mechanism, where the master will accept a new connection and distribute them to the workers in a round robin process. Uh, the old process was where the workers were responsible for exceptions, uh, like who would accept the connections. I guess it probably had them vote on it or something like that. Hmm. So clustering is different. Uh, for TLS encryption, they've done some things there. Um, they've done some work on buffering. Uh, as they put it, we knew, we use a more accurate mechanism for allocating memory for buffers now, which means you'll see less overhead and impact from holding on to small slices of buffers. Uh, reduces the amount of memory pressure on the system, which means garbage collection runs are quicker, and Node is CPU less intensive and has lower latency. Which sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, crypto, they've done some things there. So looks like having the ability to load custom engines for cryptography uh, that have been compiled in OpenSSL. Um, and so on. Uh, more APIs that support uh, supplying passphrases. So I guess maybe not all of them did in the past. And uh, also added an API for RSA public and private key encryption and decryption, which just sounds cool. Uh, there's also a VM module update. It's now based on something called Contextify, which shares values from the sandbox uh, to avoid missing changes inside the execution engine from appearing in the parent context, whatever that means. Uh, so basically, this is the first major release of uh, version 12, and it's available for all sorts of platforms. So mm. go ahead and check that out. Um, let's see. Joel, do you have anything coming up? Uh, sure. Let's let's talk a little bit about some of the Amazon Web Services updates. That hey, we've let's. Because there's, there, there's always, like Amazon, you know, just releases updates at a dizzying pace. But some of the things that, that we've seen, um, you know, maybe taking advantage of with Hadle that are, are really cool... 
um, might seem mundane, but really help make your infrastructure um, solid. One thing is just the fact that now Amazon um, supports pretty much in all phases um, data encryption at rest. So data encryption at rest, you know, basically having data, have your data encrypted on the file system or in the database is a big thing that people talk about. Uh, as a soapbox, I'm not so sure that it actually makes your applications that much more secure because at the end of the day, uh, the application has to be able to access the data. So the application obviously has the keys to unlock and decrypt the data. True. And people are going to attack you through your application. Right. So, right. you know, if they get a hold of your running application, they can access your data. That's just how it is. But, uh, you know, the side, the side note of that is if you, you know, if Amazon actually gets massively hacked, then, you know, then people won't be able to get your data if, if it's encrypted. Um, so anyway, this is a big request. It's actually a big buzzword that a lot of people almost use as a check mark. Is your data encrypted at rest? Like Urgh. if you answer no, then you must have the worst system in the world, which is actually not necessarily true. Right. But anyway, the cool thing about this is, so, so recently their managed databases, RDS, um, either in Postgres or in uh, MySQL and maybe something else they do, um, you can encrypt those. Um, so you give it a key and then your database stays encrypted. You can encrypt EBS, elastic block storage. Basically, you can encrypt your file systems. And the cool part about those that kind of makes it all work well is, so encrypting everything is great, but then if you lose the keys, you're done. Yeah. So, so, that, so how do you manage? So key management becomes a big problem or a big hassle. And Amazon has, and they have had for some time, but it's kind of everything's always getting better, a key management service. So basically, you can use Amazon's key management service to create these keys, and then you can use those to encrypt, um, you know, various things in your infrastructure. So that's that's cool. That allows a smoother path to um, encryption, encrypting data at rest. The second part about that that they've been doing with um, is basically um, you would almost think this would have been built in from the beginning, but it wasn't. Is really first class auditing. So um, you really want to know, for instance. And so the most recent thing that they've they've come out with just came out today, or at least announced today, was Route 53, their DNS service, now uses CloudTrail, which is essentially their log. It sort of sounds like that CloudTrail. So, right. um, so basically, whenever any kind of entries are made to your, um, that change your DNS, that's logged. So you can see everything that happens via either the web UI or the, the APIs. So that's good. So now, you know, any DNS changes are, uh, you can see an audit of that. And they've been rolling that out throughout all their services. So the bottom line is when anything in your in your um, environment, your infrastructure changes, that will be logged to one place. So that's a really, um, you know, again, you almost would think that a cloud provider would have had that from the beginning. Yeah. But, but it's very, very valuable for auditing purposes to find out what happened and to see, you know, sort of, make it more secure so that if anybody changes it internally, you know what happened for mistakes and for any kind of malicious internal kind of hacking. So anyway, that that's strong and it allows you to create a really, um, you know, kind of first class infrastructure where everything, all kinds of configuration changes are automatically um, locked. Now you'd almost think like your Amazon infrastructure should sort of uh, be a state machine where that state should be able to be version controlled. Like that would be better if like, your entire infrastructure essentially could go into a Git repository, and you know, and Amazon would make that happen. Um, you could make that happen by making your API calls in scripts and having those scripts be version controlled. Mm -hmm. But, but reality-wise, that's that's probably not going to happen. So, um, so this stuff that Amazon's coming out 
uh, good stuff. Very cool. Um, okay, let's let's switch to my favorite topic. Angular JS. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you coughed a little bit when you said that. I did. Angular JS. Um, so it turns out that Angular JS two uh, is starting to make the rounds in terms of potential real APIness. Nice. Um, so if you uh, go to the show notes, I'll give you a link to uh, an Angular two to do app. Uh, Brad Green uh, recently did a talk um, on February 11th. They published it. It was recently. Uh, with a, another person, I think he might be an Angular team member. Brad Green. Yeah, Brad Green is the project manager for for, uh, for the Angular team. And um, but anyway, they, they did a to do app and walked through what a to do app would look like. And then it looks like they took, as I'm scrolling, uh, it looks like they took a billion questions. Uh, <laughs> it's very early. I have it on my watch list. Uh, but also allegedly there uh, is a repo out there too, which would be a snapshot of Angular two using this to do list. I'm hoping that's the case. If it is, it'll be posted in the show notes. Nice. Um, but yeah, they're actually starting to show, uh, they call it an alpha of Angular 2. So that's kind of interesting that they're actually getting to that point. I know that Angular 2 is going to have a long road. Mm-hmm. If you go and you go to github.com slash Angular slash Angular is the repo for Angular 2, and it's got billions of commits. And I think I mentioned last show that they're starting to throw documentation in there. It's nowhere near ready, mm-hmm. but you can see they're really starting to get rolling with this stuff. So. Nice. Heavy duty development going on in Angular too, so keep a watch for that. All right, uh, let's talk about Waiter. So uh, Waiter is W. We have a Waiter. We, yes, we have uh, now. We have a bus service now at, uh, inside the office. No, that's not what we're talking about. Financially so, non-viable. So Waiter W A T I R is a Ruby uh, project that wraps WebDriver, which is Selenium WebDriver, the uh, very popular and robust um, automated testing tool that essentially lets you write tests that act as a headless browser or uh, you know just a browser with no um, head. Yeah, so that's headless. <laughs> no, so, it's not. So, so back in the day, like many years ago, uh, so Selenium is old, but it's very good. And, and so it started out... You know, I've used Selenium many times in the past. You want to write a smoke test is a great thing for that. So you've tested all your code lower level. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that kind of smoke test. So you've okay. got, you know, you've done your unit test, you've done your integration test, but you really want to run your website end to end. Yep. And so you you write this test with a headless browser that goes through and runs through your app and does whatever it is your app does. And these are great to run for automated regression tests. So every time you do a new build, you know, you run this this thing. Well, so there have been difficulties in writing these in the past for a variety of reasons, but most recently I've been using Waiter to write one for uh, Hadle. So to, to exercise the functions of asking a question, answering a question, inviting a user, like all the different things you could do. Um, and what I was shocked to find is how awesomely easy it is, because t- traditionally these are not particularly easy to write. Um, so some of the features that I found in Waiter, and again, it's an API written on top of Selenium, and Selenium's Ruby web, uh, web driver, um, you know, is um, again, yeah. Sorry, there's somebody outside of our window, and it really just <laughs> threw me off. I can only do one thing at They're once. They're pointing at the window, and, like, and, I, and I was looking. And demolish they this room right, now, right, with them right, in it. Right, doesn't matter. Just crush it. Their only developers will get more. So, so, so there's some construction going on in the office. So anyway. Um, the things that stood out to me for Waiter that, that were really good were 
obviously uh, I felt that it had a very smooth, clean API. And I can't show you my, you know, my script because this is radio, but it was short and it read really like plain English. And that's a lot of tribute to uh, Ruby actually I, and waiter designers. Um, I've coded in the past Selenium in Java. So it was really nice. But some of the things that it handled particularly well Number one was waiting for elements to appear. So this has historically been a real pain in the neck in Selenium. I've had tests, okay, I'll admit it, where I've had sleeps in the test for like two seconds so the thing would render. So it catches and, up. Yeah, and it was lame-o, okay? <laughs> but Selenium for a while, and maybe it's been better. I mean, this is built on Selenium, so or WebDriver, so I assume it, its underlying functionality is there. But the waiting for things to appear was great because everything now is Ajax and so you've got divs and they make an Ajax call and then something will appear later and you don't really know when. So um, so the waiting APIs are important and it has nice things like wait till appear basically. I think that's the method call but it's something very close to that. So you'll have an element and before you click it you'll just say so you know here's a div. I, the other thing is um, you know nothing, uh, there's a lot of things that look like form controls or data input elements but they're not. They're divs and their lists that are styled like selects with options. Right. So a lot of times you're not dealing with form input. So um, you're dealing with simulated controls. You click in something. So yeah. you're clicking a div and then you're waiting. So in other words, imagine you're filling out a search box. You're, you're clicking a div, you're uh, typing in you know, something into, um, you know, you're typing in a search query and you're waiting for an autocomplete result to come. And so all that waiter handles very nicely. Uh, dealing with divs instead of form inputs. Dealing with rich text editors. So we use Redactor, which is a rich text editor. Well, that's not a real control either. That's like a fake thing. And so, Tons of CSS and JavaScript. Yeah, it like simulates a rich text editor, but it's not. So with right. Waiter's API, you do send keys. So you say, give me this div, send keys, like I'm typing right on mm -hmm. it and it will manipulate you know, those things. So, so bottom line is we have a lot of simulated controls. We have different things that could be problematic. You make an Ajax call, you have to wait for a response. Again, filling out something and waiting for the autocomplete to, to come back, mm -hmm. selecting an item out of that autocomplete, you know, clicking buttons that aren't really buttons, they're divs. And Waiter makes that all very, very simple so that your, your um, test reads you know, really, really cleanly. Now you could hook this into something like a BDD type framework, a given when then like Cucumber or something like that, but um, where you could you could even abstract it one more level. But I found that Waiter is so clean that by writing simple Ruby objects and you know things like uh, uh, login, and then with Waiter uh, actually having the code inside the login method to log in, that I don't really think that I need that other higher level um, you know BDD style framework to make sense of it. It's actually very, very readable. So I was impressed with the state of waiter and with the different flexibility you could do and the fact that we could test the full functionality of Hadle, um, you know, right out of the box. I fully expected something weird to happen because it always does. <laughs> well, yeah, web testing is like voodoo economics, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Does it exist? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, hey, while I'm at it, I'll, I'll throw back something. Um, if you're an Angular developer, <laughs> gee, I must be doing something else sometime. Um, but Angular has a, the lights are off. Angular has an, an API called uh, a Protractor. I want to bring that up too, since we're talking about WebDriver. And so uh, Protractor, I'm showing Joel the code for that. Uh, in Protractor, you have the ability to uh, automate, and it uses WebDriver behind the scenes, JavaScript okay. WebDriver. Mm -hmm. You could say browser.get and go get a page, and then you could say uh, look up an element. And where it gets interesting is they have all the Angular-specific features. So look mm -hmm. up the 
Angular model for the view for this field and send keys to it, for example. Um, you know, look up things by their text and modify them. And it basically lightly wraps WebDriver but lets you hit the, the features of it. That's so, nice. Yeah. yeah, if you're curious, uh, it's Angular slash Protractor on GitHub. It's uh, I used to say it was an alpha and a beta, and it's actually version 1.6 now. It's the replacement for their own web testing tool they built from scratch, which they quickly realized we don't want to replace Selenium. No, no one does. That's no. why everybody's there. It's a really tough nut yeah. to crack. So you should look at that for your favorite JavaScript framework. Chances are there's going to be something. But Protractor is geared towards Angular, if you're curious. And I put that in the show notes as well. That's cool. Okay, Joel, uh, self-driving cars? Yes. Apple? So this is weird, right? You know, Apple, so, so it's come out that Apple, uh, you know, ha is producing a car. So they have several hundred people working on this project. You wonder how they've kept it secret so long. They've been hiring people like... Uh, they hired a guy from Mercedes, I think it was Mercedes, but it's really funny because his um, his title was like director of Mac platform, like, um, and you hired him from Mercedes, right? That's, Bull. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but but basically, the, this has come out. They have a. I'm trying to find the the, the um, project name, but um, and the iCar. Yeah, probably. Yeah, really. Really, like that was too hard. But it's very interesting because this has been confirmed in multiple places and is kind of all over the news that Apple has some sort of car offering that they have a lot of people, uh, hundreds of people working on this, and that now the rumors are coming out, you know, totally crazy, but that uh, an Apple person is anonymously quoted as saying that this will give Tesla a run for their money, which really leads people to believe that this is an electric car. And then there's other things that prompt people to believe that it's going to be self-driving. So really interesting, though. I mean, obviously, um, we'll see, you know, Apple hasn't worked too hard to squash this rumor or confirm it or deny it. But, I mean, can you imagine? Steve Jobs killed so many projects. Yep. They're going to let a car go by now? <laughs> like, Wait, Joel, like, Joel we're going to do a little game. This game is called, I'm going to go to the Apple iPhone timer, and we're going to put the put 30 seconds on the clock. Yes. And we're going to find as many silly names for this car as possible. <laughs> All right, you ready? <laughs> All, right. All right, one minute. We'll do one minute. Ready? All right, one minute. All right, so go. So I, I would say iCar. iCar's good. My word, I was not ready for this. That's um, fine. It's fine. The um, okay now. Or, or better yet, just jokes about it. So for example, you can buy the Apple iCar, but you have to drive only on Apple-approved roads. Go. <laughs> You're going to destroy me in this. This is going against an improvisationalist, and I am okay. I'm like I write it down four weeks ahead of time. All right, so I'll try another one. Um, <laughs> hold on, hold on, I got it. So um, you can buy the Apple iCar, but you can only pick between uh, white, uh, space gray, and black. <laughs> okay, we keep going. We keep going. You can buy the Apple iCar, but they have to personally. But Steve Jobs has to perfectly approve each driver, <laughs> which <laughs> so, is going to be hard. Which is going to be very difficult. Yeah, but he right. actually left the list. Ahead that's of time. right. You can and, buy. And there's the about five people on the list, and you're not on it. That's right. You can buy the Apple iCar, but there will be no buttons. <laughs> So how do you get in the car? <laughs> no idea. You can't use it. There's nothing mechanical about it. Uh, how about um, you can buy the Apple iCar, but there's something that has to have some kind of tie-in, but only if you previously actually bought the Newton. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, one more. Uh, you can buy the iCar, but but they will replace your stereo system with a revolutionary boombox. <laughs> Do you remember that, the one year? No. So he comes out, um, Steve Jobs came out, and they, they made their own boombox. Nice. It's like, we have the best stereo <laughs> i sold now this is steve jobs right he didn't yeah. sell his, i stole all my i sold all my stereo equipment i only use this i'm like did your hearing break 
There's no way. Okay, here's what. So the so when the Apple iCar is announced, they'll have a stunning new revelation. Everybody will be talking about it. All the press. It has four wheels. Woo-hoo! Because Apple always comes out with something that everybody else has the had. The new Apple and then they, wheel. And then they said that everybody goes, oh my word, it's a phone. We've never seen a phone. <laughs> We've re- Here we go. We at Apple have reinvented the wheel. <laughs> That'll be never ended. Yeah, so that'll, that'll be tough. Yeah, All right, Tim, that was worth it. Yeah. Well, I think we'll end the dev news on that because we can't top ourselves on that one. So <laughs> or bottom ourselves any lower. I'm not sure which. So the thud will be. All right. So, so uh, yeah. So if you want to subscribe, you go to chariotsolutions.com/devnews. Uh, you can also go to iTunes and search for Chariot Developer News there. Uh, and you know, check us on Twitter at, at TechCast. I'm at K Rimple. At Jake and Fino. Yep. And that's it. So uh, for the next couple days, slash week, slash year, whatever it is, I'm Ken Ripple. I'm Joel Confino. And go code something, will you?